Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I think now we're finally using all of our weapons. Everybody is comfortable in their role right now. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Fantrax and Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and as always you can find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball. We're here to talk about the end of the week, we're here to talk about Sunday's games. We're going to then look ahead to next week, previewing the first full week of 2017 and of course getting you ready for your DFS action for Monday with eight games on. So we've got plenty to talk about. So let's get to it. All right, let's uh, let's indeed do that, and we will start things off by uh, by getting stuck into the week ahead. And it's a really weird week in the NBA, and I say it's a weird week because the games are spread equally. And this would be perfect for every day of the week. They're perfect DFS slates every day, um, perfect in terms of being able to stream guys in and not have active players sitting on your bench. And the reason is, well, not the reason is this is this is what it is because. Monday, we've got eight games. Tuesday, we've got eight games. Wednesday, which is normally the busiest day of the week, has seven. Thursday, we have eight. Friday, we have eight. Saturday, we have eight. And to round things off, Sunday, we have eight. So basically, every single day this week is streamable. It is very unlikely in a standard 10-3 split, bench versus uh, starters, that you will have guys who are active sitting on your bench. You will have spots spare. So it's all about maximizing your weekly acquisitions. If you don't have acquisition limits, go sick. Get yourself an extra you know, 10, 14 games perhaps this week because you'll be able to do it on every single day and it's going to be a real um, yeah, a real boon for you to get huge numbers this week. You've got, to, you've got to use them smartly if you've got acquisition limits though. Now, let's talk about the teams and the games that they play. This is for, for weekly lock leagues. There's one team playing five games, and that's the Utah Jazz. The issue we have here, especially for a guy like George Hill, is he's got a concussion. So we don't know. If, we know that he's out on Monday, but we don't know what he's going to be doing for the other four games of the week. So he's a dicey one. But the Jazz play Monday, Tuesday, and then they have Wednesday off, and they play Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. So I reckon you feel pretty confident about getting the three games out of George Hill, maybe even the four but that's going to be uh, quite a tough decision when it comes to lineup lock. Everyone else is, is ready to go. I would lock Derek Favors in at, at 25 minutes a game for five games, although there is a risk that with two back-to-backs this week, Favors sits out at least one. So that's something to consider as well in your weekly lock leagues. If we look at the teams, there's no teams that play two. The majority of teams play four games. We've got the Cavs, the Magic, the Heat, the Thunder, the Warriors, Knicks, Wizards, Bucks, Clippers, Rockets, Nets, Nuggets, Lakers, Kings, Grizzlies, Suns, Hornets, and Raptors, and the rest of the teams have three games, and that's the Sixers, Mavericks, Pistons, Pacers, Pelicans, Spurs, Blazers, Bulls, Hawks, Celtics, and Timberwolves. 
as as we all know, um, not every team's schedule is the same, and it's not every four game week is the same as all the other four game weeks. So if you want to look at good four game weeks, we look at Cleveland, Orlando, and Miami. Cleveland takes on the Pelicans, the Bulls, the Nets, and the Suns. Although with some blowouts there, maybe that limits what some of the stars can do, but you're not really too worried about that sort of thing in terms of weekly locks. The Magic have got a good one too. The Knicks, the Hawks, the Rockets, the Lakers. The Heat take on the Suns, Lakers, and Kings. So good matchups for those guys. Whereas if you go down to the bottom of the schedule, the Raptors take on the Spurs. They take on the Jazz. So they're two, two horrible matchups. And then they have the Bulls and the Rockets in their four games. The Hornets take on the Bulls, the Thunder, the Pistons, and the Spurs. So horrible matchups there. The Sixers out of the three-game teams have the best, Minnesota, Boston, and Brooklyn, whereas the Timberwolves have the worst, Utah, Washington, and Philadelphia. So when you're making those decisions between four-game players or even some great three-game schedules and, and poor four-game ones, it is important to pay pay attention to that with pace slowing down, with, with bad defensive matchups, with all that sort of stuff. It is important to to take a look at that. And, and work out the best way to try and uh, yeah, maximize the games played, which obviously, you, or not maximize the games played, maximize the value, which obviously you can do over at Basketball Monster with our weekly projections, which takes into account all of the defensive stuff, all of the schedule strength uh, in terms of using the weekly projections to tell you who's going to provide better value across the whole week for you. Now, normally I'd go through at this point now and talk about quality games and, and you know who's got good quality games in their schedule. Every single game this week is a quality game, so there's no point in me doing that. But what I am going to do is talk about back-to-back. So it's about managing your weekly acquisition limit and getting multiple players for single single ads. So if we start the week with Monday, Tuesday, back-to-backs, we've got four teams that start the, t- the week out that way. We've got Utah, we've got Washington, we've got Denver and Phoenix. So there are definitely players around there that you can go and, go and add for that back-to-back sort of a situation. Maybe you want Shelvin Mack from Utah who might get, he'll get one start, he might get two starts in Utah. In Washington, do you grab a guy like Kelly Oubre? If Markeith Morris is around, I'd recommend owning him anyway, but he's a definite guy that you want to look at. In Denver, what do you do there? Do you grab Manny Moutier, who again, I think should be owned? Do you grab Jameer Nelson? Do you add Wafartan Will Barton if he's on your waiver wire? With the Phoenix guys, um, Dragon Bender. You might get 45 minutes of Dragon Bender across these two games. Tyson Chandler, Alex Len, Marquise Chris. Yeah, lots of guys that you can use for a two-game stint here. Tuesday, Wednesday, we've got Miami, Sacramento, and Memphis. They've all got back-to-backs there. Miami is a mess at the moment with injuries, so there are, there are players everywhere. Obviously, Joshie Richardson, if Hassan Whiteside remains out, then Willie Reed is an option. Jimmy Johnson is a player that probably should be owned in all leagues. Memphis might have Marcus Solat, so we're looking at Jermichael Green, Zach Randolph as players in shallower leagues that might need to be owned as well there. And Sacramento, we don't know Rudy Gay's situation, so you might get two decent games out of Anthony Tolliver. You might take a punt and try Malachi Richardson, who's potentially getting into the into the rotation. Darren Collison's worth an add because Ty Lawson's face is smashed in. Wednesday, Thursday, we've got Oklahoma City, we've got Portland, we've got Atlanta. So with Victor Oladipo back in Oklahoma City, some of the things, I guess, uh, some of the opportunities maybe maybe dry up. But even adding Alex Abrines, sorry, I've, I've been corrected on that pronunciation, Alex Abrines, that just doesn't sound right. It just sounds too anglicized. Alex Abrines... Um, yeah, he might get you four threes in two games. That could work. Portland and Atlanta, other options there too. With Atlanta's wings, really going to be a great section to target. Is it Baysmore, Hardaway, Cephalosha? Um, who's the other one that I'm missing? Baysmore, Hardaway, Cephalosha. Oh, Corva, of course, Kyle Corva. 
Thursday, Friday, back-to-backs. We're looking at Houston. We're looking at Brooklyn. We're looking at the Los Angeles Lakers. Brooklyn, it, you know, some straightforward ones. Maybe Karis LeVert is the one to look at. If Trevor Booker was dropped, it's a great spot to grab him. Shawnee Kilpatrick. Maybe Isaiah Whitehead if Jeremy Lin remains out. Friday, Saturday, we've got the Knicks, Boston, and Minnesota with back-to-backs. And the Knicks have got multiple injuries at the moment. They've got four guys that are currently questionable for Monday, so we don't really know what's going on with them. But guys like Lance Thomas, Courtney Lee, Justin Holiday, all those players will be useful in that two-game stretch. You look at Jonas Jarebko from Boston with Minnesota. Yeah, not a lot to love there, but Shabazz Muhammad has scored over 10 points in the last two games, and, and maximizing value, two games, one ad, does he help you? He might. He might not, but, but he might. And then to end the week, the weekend back-to-back, there is only one of those, and it is the Utah Jazz back to where we began the week. So that's how everything sort of shapes out for this week. Again, a really weird week. I would love this to be the case every single week. I love these weeks. It means we've got perfect DFS days every day, aside from potential matchup issues and that sort of stuff. But just in terms of slate size, it's perfect, and it's great that we don't have to make start-sit decisions, and you can just, look, this is my team, and let's uh, let, let the best man win, I guess, and make your... Um, make your ads judicious do try that again judiciously that's a bad word for me to try and say all right let's get into the monstrous line of the night from sunday it is kyle lowry of the toronto raptors he was fantastic against the lakers 41 9 and 7 he hit six triples and he did all this on 16 shots 12 of 16 from the field which is ludicrous and 11 of 11 from the line he is putting up batshit crazy numbers he's the top or he, he not the top he is the number three player over the last two weeks, averaging 30, six, six and a half, six and a half, one and a half steals, 4.3 triples, hitting 57% of his shots from the field, 85 from the line, and 48 from the from three. These are crazy numbers. I still maintain that if I get an offer of someone who's a top 10 player for Kyle Lowry, I will take it. And the reason the reason is because over the course of the year, Kyle Lowry is ranked ninth. Yep, and he's he's flying at the moment, ranked third in those last two weeks. But it's coming on the back of 48% shooting from the field. His last three years, 42, 41, 42. It's coming on the back of 85% from the line. Fine, but his last three years, 81, 81, 81. It's coming on the back of 46% shooting from three. His last three years, 39, 34, 38. It just feels like he is going through a prolonged hot hot streak, no doubt, but but a very very hot shooting streak. Couple that in with, or couple that regression to the mean in with the annual Kyle Lowry body breaking down late Feb March situation, which has happened the last couple of years due to overwork, and he's playing more minutes than he played last season. So there is definitely a concern with that. You know, some of that regression coming back. I can't see Lowry maintaining top 10 numbers. I can't see him maintaining top five numbers. Of course, I got no, no way I can see him maintaining top five numbers. Everything else is fairly in line, except you know, the threes where he's hitting over four a game, which is out of control. His steals, his blocks, his assists, his rebounds, which are actually mildly elevated, but you know, and the scoring, which is, which is up as well. Look, that comes with the percentages. So percentage regression, wear down, injury factor later on in the year, his value does not get higher than this. It is impossible for his value to get higher than this. But, you know, obviously he's he's fantastic now. And parting with a guy who's the third-ranked player over the last two weeks is tough to do. 
But you do sometimes have to look and say, is this possible to continue? And I just don't feel that it 100% is, despite how much I do like Kyle Lowry and how much, um, you know, how well he is actually playing at the moment. Let's talk waiver wire line of the night. And this is going to start a trend of Los Angeles Lakers talk today. Uncle P, Nick Young. Um, what, what do we say about Nick Young? Well, we can say lots of things about him, obviously, but the way that he is performing has been fantastic. He had 26 points for the Lakers against the Raptors on Sunday. He hit seven triples. He had two boards and zero assists, so that's pretty stock standard Nick Young where you get the none of those numbers, but added two steals, didn't have a block, went eight of 14 from the field, and was three of three from the free throw line. He is putting up numbers at career-best levels. He is causing issues with Jordan Clarkson's value, with Lou Williams's value, and over the last two weeks, Nick, Nick Young is a top 50 player. That's coming on the back of four threes a game that he's hitting. It's coming on the back of 51% shooting from the field. It's coming on the back of 56% shooting from three. Much like Lowry, things that are impossible for him to continue. He's he, Last season, he shot 34% from the field. The year before, he shot 37. So we're talking about a bloke that over the last two weeks is shooting 20% better. Not realistic to continue. And as usual, less than two rebounds a game, less than an assist a game. But impressively, he has got his steal numbers up, and I'll definitely give him credit for that. He's at 1.4 steals over the last two weeks. But if you're viewing Nick Young as a top 50 guy, I reckon you'll be disappointed because I just don't see him continuing to shoot at this elevated level. He's taken it up numerous notches over the last two weeks, but even on the year, he's at 48, 88, 45. I can see him sticking at 40% from three. I can see him sticking at 44% from the field, maybe 45%, maybe. But I, I, I don't really see how he can possibly keep up these current numbers. It feels It feels literally impossible for him to continue to do what he's doing. And by all means, he is someone to add. He's owned in only 60% of leagues. But who am I dropping? If you've got a streaming spot, do it. But you know, when you look at it, you have, you have to look at this and go, this is not sustainable. There is no way. There's no way that Nick Young shoots at 50% moving forward. There's no, young, no way that Nick Young shoots at 56% from three moving forward. And with nothing else coming in the other categories, he's... Production is fueled entirely by that, so it it is it is important to view those things. But yeah, while he's hot, sure, go and do it. But there there is going to be some significant regression. We've already seen it with his teammate Lou Williams, who was shooting at you know six seven percent better than what he did last year, and has now dropped off in a pretty significant way. So great stuff from Nick Young. Fantastic that he's rebuilt his reputation in his career. Just this is um. Yeah, this is a fairly crazy stretch that he's putting us through at the moment. The young gun of the night, D'Angelo Russell of the Los Angeles Lakers. 28 points for Russ. Six triples, four rebounds, five assists, one steal, nine of 18 from the field and four of six from the line. He's really starting to get it going again now. This is um, He's had double-digit scoring in basically... What's he had? Three... Nine of his last 10 games, um, his last two games in particular, have 43.7 triples, 11 assists, and three steals. And the thing that's really been holding him back is his field goal percentage, which over the last two weeks is under 40%. But he was 50% here. 
Um, we get that up to, say, 42%, 43%. Then we're talking about a 17-point scorer who's hitting you two point, well, he's already hitting 2.3 triples a game. He's getting his sister five and a half or six a game and putting up some some really good numbers. I do believe there's a top 60 player in, in D'Angelo Russell for this season. He's currently sitting at 79 and 99 over the last two weeks. But I do believe that with his minutes rising, He's only at 26 for the year, but over the last two weeks, he's at 29 since returning from that knee injury. I think he can come in, come in and, and play 30 most nights. I would hope he can anyway. And get you 17, 18 points maybe. Uh, get two and a half threes, five and a half to six assists, one and a bit steals, and get that percentage up there. In a punt field goal build, he's fantastic. He's, he's already close to that top 60 number as it is. But it is a significant impediment to ownership in all formats with him shooting under 40% on on 14 attempts per game. That, that That's that's a, a worry. But like Nick Young and Kyle Lowry are going through really hot streaks, you know, Russell's going through somewhat of a cold one, and I do think that he can turn it around. It wasn't cold today, obviously, but he can turn it around and get that percentage up a couple of percentages moving forward. But a really good night from D'Angelo Russell, really encouraging for, for whoever drafted him and for the Lakers in general. He still looks really slow out there, though. Just when he moves, he just seems to move so slowly. But from a fantasy point of view, no one's taking his minutes. No one's taking his role at this point. That's just, that's just not happening. And I think we can expect things to actually get better from here, which is a, which is a good sign. The dud of the night. Let's, uh, let's stay with the Los Angeles Lakers. And let's go to Jordy Clarkson, who was terrible. Two points for Clarko, one rebound, one assist, one of five from the field, zero of one from the line. I don't think that Jordan Clarkson is a must-own player in 10-team leagues. I don't think that he is a must-own player in 12-team leagues. I'll rephrase that. In a 10-team league, I, not I don't think, he is not a must-own player in a 10-team league. He can be owned, but he is not a must-own. In a 12-team league, it's, it's getting dubious. We can look at what he's done. And the first thing I always look to is when a guy is slumping, what's the shooting like? Yeah, he's ranked 142nd over the last two weeks. You go, okay, shit, what, is he going cold? No, he's shooting 47% from the field, 40% from three. So, yeah, look, there's, there's, he's hitting shots. He's just not taking them. He is also an inexplicable 20% from the line over that time. So that's, that's hurting him, but it's on, it's on like five attempts. So we're talking about one of five shooting over the last seven games. So it's not a big sample size that's, that's destroying that category. But that will change, obviously. But the assists are nowhere to be seen. He's not rebounding the ball. He's hitting threes at, at a good rate, yeah. But with with Young, with Russell, with Williams, there's just not enough minutes or touches to go around for Geordie. This is his role on a good team as a sixth man. The Lakers are not a good team, but... This is his role moving forward. This is where his talent lies. And I would feel totally fine about moving on in a 12-team league. I would not be considering it a real buy-low in Dynasty either. Because I do think this is this is almost what he is. It hasn't been great for, for, for Geordie this season. No one really predicted a Nick Young breakout like we've seen. Or re-breakout or whatever you want to call it. No one really predicted that sort of performance from uh, from Young, but that has really hurt what Jordan Clarkson has been able to do this season, but I don't really see any reason for it to, to change moving forward. So if there's guys out there that you want, and there's been a, a few guys that pop their heads up on waiver wires recently that have become really good options, consider Clarko a guy to move on from. 
Is that the new iPhone? Yeah, got it on T-Mobile. Fastest iPhone deserves America's fastest LTE network. Introducing the amazing iPhone 8. It's the best iPhone yet, now on America's best unlimited network. For a limited time, save up to $300 on the amazing iPhone 8 after 24 monthly bill credits. And now join T-Mobile's iPhone upgrade program for free. Eligible trade-in and finance agreement required. If you cancel service, you may lose promo credits. Contact us for details. Video at 480p. Small fraction of users over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speed. See store for details. Let's now move into the games from Sunday, all five of them, and talk about them in a bit more detail. For Detroit and Miami is the first one. The uh, The Pistons got the victory against an undermanned Heat side. The uh, Heat were up big early, and then uh, Detroit wore them down. Marcus Morris was back. He was back in the starting lineup, and that pushed Toby Harris to the bench, but it doesn't affect Toby. Toby prefers the bench, it seems. 17-7 and for Harris in 35 minutes. Two steals and two blocks. Now, I don't know if he prefers it personally. He probably doesn't. But in terms of his play and his fantasy stats, they definitely benefit from this new role. So we have to love that. As for Marcus Morris, this was yeah just Marcus Morris, 11-1-1, not a must-own guy. Kentavious Kowal-Pope had a good line, 23-6-5 with two steals and four triples on 9-15 of 15 shooting. That just means he's probably going to be a 30% shooter in the next game such is the nature of KCP. Well, Reggie Jackson had a season-high 27 points. And importantly for Reggie Jackson, he played 33 minutes. And this is the last couple of games that he's getting over 30. And in a Stan Van Gundy team, that's a significant thing. 27-2-4 for Reg. And getting an extra couple of minutes on what we, we assume he would do is an important thing that might bump him 10, 20 spots in ranking value. Still has some issues with shot selection and distribution, but... Really hard to complain too much about a 27-2-4 line. Andre Drummond with a big one, 25-18 and 18 with two steals and two blocks with no Hassan Whiteside to go up against, and Aaron Baines suffered an ankle sprain. So I would uh, imagine we're going to see some Boban Mayanovic at some point moving forward. John Lua really not working in the starting lineup from a fantasy point of view. 28 minutes for Johnny, 2-3-3, three, three. 10 team leagues, no reason to deal with him. 12 teamers. You can probably move on if there's someone else. There might not be someone else out there, but if there is, I think you can consider him a low upside expendable player. For the Heat, no Goran Dragic, no Dion Waiters, no Hassan Whiteside, and no Justice Winslow. So we had a starting lineup trotted out there of Joshy Richardson, Wayne Allington, Scooter Magruder, Lukey Babbitt, and Willie Reed. So hardly a murderer's row. Let's start with uh, Joshy Rich. Only had 14 points on 13 shots, so the shot wasn't there for him in this one. But two triples, one rebound, eight assists, and two steals, just getting it done in the other categories, really handling the point guard position uh, very well at the moment. Got to own him, I think, in 12-team leagues. Uh, tens, it's a little bit more dubious, but has value there, obviously. Tyler Johnson, he's just in this role no matter what the situation. 29 minutes for Tyler, 11 points, five assists, a steal, and two blocks. I like him in 12-teamers as well. Don't like Wayne Ellington, but he did have 18 points in 37 minutes with four triples. Obviously got the extra run with the injuries here, but this is what he will do. He will have occasional big scoring nights, and then he drops off and has four points in 32 minutes. So look at him in the deeper, deeper sort of formats. James Johnson's not a deep format guy. He is very good. 34 minutes, and this is what I've been advocating for Spolstra to do for a while, is give this guy big minutes. 20 points, seven boards, three assists, one steal, one block, four triples. I think he's got to be owned in 12-team leagues. Luke Babbitt doesn't get it done. Derek Williams is terrible. Udonis Haslam saw 21 minutes here. Willie Reed played as the only center on this team 18 minutes, so Jimmy Johnson played at center for big chunks, as did Udonis Haslam. So 
you know, Johnson, there's no way he should be playing 23 a night. He should be at 28 a night. And the production is there enough for if Spolstra says, oh, we're just going to go back to 24, that he still can be useful in a, in a, in a 12-teamer. But if it increases, then we're talking about real value for, for Jimmy. So big numbers from him again. Uh, Will Reed started 4-2-2 two, and two in 18 minutes. I, I think Reed's a decent prospect, but you no know, one's going to be rushing out to grab him, even with Hassan Whiteside sidelined. I don't imagine that Whiteside's going to be out for too long with this eye issue. Maybe another game, but but probably not even that. So nothing really to see there with, with Willie Reed. And Lukey Babbitt keeps starting in that uh, minimal role, you know, that role that I, that I love so much, that pointless one where James Johnson should be getting those minutes. The San Antonio Spurs and the Atlanta Hawks. This was an overtime game. A weird, a weirdly done one by, by Pop. Now, the Hawks did get the victory by two points in the end. They sat Kawhi Leonard down the stretch of regulation. Now, Leonard wasn't having his best game, but surely you just want to get him out there and, and help preserve a lead, hit some shots, play some defense. And he was fine to go because he played all of uh, all of overtime. Just a, a weird coaching decision from Pop. Kawhi only had 28 minutes, 13-4-2 with a triple one on three of 12 shooting. He's not he's not 100%. We can tell that from his uh, from his form, I guess, and from the fact he didn't play those minutes. But surely he could have played a little bit more down the stretch. Paugus, not well, let's start. With, let's go Paugasol. 38 minutes for Power, 18 and nine with a triple one. Really good numbers from him again. While Lamarcus Aldridge bounced back from an inexplicable stinker in the last game, 27-13, three blocks and a three. This makes three out of his last four games really impressive. And hopefully for Lamarcus Aldridge owners, he has turned the corner now. Speaking of turning the corner, Manu Ginobili, 10-3-3 in 21 minutes with two steals. Comfortably a top 100 player over the last two weeks. Does that mean you have to own him? No, but you should give it a lot of thought. In a 14-team league, there's no reason why he shouldn't be owned. He's owned in 7% of leagues, which is a 1% rise, so some people are starting to to, to click. He can he can be owned in, in 12 teams. He's putting up numbers, and it doesn't matter that he gets 17 or 20 minutes a night because the numbers are still there, and they're still useful. He gets out of position assists. He gets some steals. He hits some threes. He scores. Yeah, This can be really useful for your team, so see how it fits. Tone Parker dropped 22 points in this one. A return to the old days. 32 minutes for Tone. 22 points, 6 assists. I still think he's more of a of a 14-team league sort of a guy. While Pat Mills had 5 points in 21 minutes with 3 assists. No 12-teamer for Pat Mills, please. I, I don't really see that being something that's worthwhile. Dan Green had 9 points in 31 minutes. 3 triples and 6 boards. No defensive numbers, which is what you want to grab him for. But he does have a place in 12-teamers. Not for everyone, but his numbers have started to get back. And, and he's putting up some good some good numbers. For the Hawks, it was a weird one for um, Atlanta. We had the rumors coming out about, not rumors, we had the reports coming out that the Atlanta Hawks are engaged or, sorry, looking to gauge trade interest in Paul Millsap. About 15 minutes after that report came out, we had a report come out from uh, from Chris Haynes saying that Paul Millsap is going to opt out of his of his player option. Of course he is. That's That's common sense that he would given the amount of cash that's out there rather than take a, a one more year at, at a below market rate. So he will opt out. And that's just curious that it comes so close after the reporting that the Hawks are looking to trade him. It's like he's come in and said, look, mate, we're, uh, we're going to, uh, I'm going to be looking to go somewhere else or I'm going to be looking to test the free agent market. And Hawks have gone, shit, you're probably not coming back. Um, let's see what we can get. So it's going to be, in, whatever happens to Millsap, I don't think his value changes much, but it obviously could affect people on other teams. But Denver, Toronto, they're the names that have that have come up. Um, that could affect some of the other players on that team. 
You look at Denver, it'll be Wilson Chandler. You look at Toronto, Jonas Valanciunas perhaps, and it all depends on who comes back. So there's nothing you can really do in terms of fantasy-wise to make preparations for something that we just don't have any idea if or when it will happen. The Hawks and Mike Budenholzer went to their bench in on the wings with Timmy Hardaway and Kyle Korver outplaying Tabo Cephalosha and Kent Bazemore. Timmy Hardaway got hot, hit the game-tying three, had 29 points, six triples, and five rebounds on 11 of 13 shooting, and it feels like there's no other way that this guy can do it. He'll come out there and be horrible, or he'll be electric, and that's there's no middle ground. He's never average, I feel like, Hardaway. You look at him in the 16-teamers, probably. Kyle Korver with some nice numbers, 14-8-4, four triples of steal and a block, so good numbers from Korver. Still don't believe that he is a must-own 12-team. I would probably prefer Uncle P at this point to, to Kyle Korver. Um, in a 14-team league, I'm sure, you, you deal with Kyle. Dan Schroeder, 16-2-10 there. And Dwight wasn't awesome. 6-7 and seven in 34 minutes. Now, the starting wings. Tarbo, not a great night. 3-2 and two with a steal and a block. I still do believe he... We, not I do believe he is a top 100 player so far this year. And I still believe that you want to hold on to him in in 12-team leagues, depending on who your other options are to grab. But Kent Bazemore, man, this guy is just not good. Um, 8 points in 19 minutes. He looked completely pissy on the bench when Hardaway was hitting shots. He had two steals. He had two rebounds. It was an absolute disgraceful decision for them to give him that sort of money on that contract. Not as bad as Joe Kim Noah. Not as bad as Tim Mozgov. Not as bad as Lou Deng. But still pretty poor because he's a pretty poor player. And this is this is what he is. Now, it doesn't mean that he shouldn't be owned in 12-team leagues. He, he can be in certain spots. But I really... The inconsistency, the actual, actual crapness that he puts out so often, it is really just hard to hold. So... If I owned him, which I don't across any of the 20 leagues that I'm in, I don't have any Kent Bazemore anywhere, which I'm sure you're not surprised about whatsoever, I would I would be looking to move on from him. I just don't see... He's not good enough to bounce back. I'll put it that way. This is, this is, this is closer to what he is than what we saw last season. That was, And that was like a three-month outlier with the, the rest of the season being pretty craptacular as well. Orlando and Indiana... Bismack Biombo's minutes are being limited. And there's a good reason for that, because he's not that good. 23 minutes for Bismack, 9 and 6, and he's been getting under 25 for about the last four or five games in a row. And it's allowing Nick Vucevic to play more, which is good. 30 minutes for Vuce, 18 and 11, a steal and two blocks. So we could see a situation where Vuce is is top 50 by the end of the year just by virtue of him getting these extra two minutes or so of off Bismack. So interesting to see how that works out. I don't think Bismack's a 12-teamer. Aaron Gordon had a good night, and not just from scoring. 13 points in 28 minutes, but it's the six boards, two steals, one block, one three that gets me more excited about that Aaron Gordon line there. He's still really tough to own in 12-team leagues, but he's been much better recently. Um, Still not 100% getting it. Still don't have 100% faith in a 10-teamer. There's no point. But I can totally understand a 12-team league situation. 17 points for, for Jeffy Green as well. My name is Jeff. He hit three triples and didn't do a lot else. Just a 14 or 16-team league guy, while Serge Ibaka went 17-6 and six with a couple of blocks. Lord Alfred Payton started the second half at point guard because, again, he is better than DJ Augustine. Only had 29 mi- minutes in the end and only had two points. So it wasn't a great night from, uh, from Alf, but three boards. Seven assists, one block, still getting some other stuff done while DJ Augustine failed to do anything. Five five points in 15 minutes for DJ with the three assists and a steal. 
Uh, I do think that Lord Alfred is a 12-team league guy. There was no Evan Fournier again, so Jody Meek started. He had 11 points in 30 minutes, had three triples, and that's fine in a deep league streaming situation. But once Fournier returns, we're not going to see a huge amount of Jody. For the Pacers, Miles Turner, 23 and 12, a triple one, big numbers, huge night from Turner. That's that's great. And Jeffy Teague, who did sprain his ankle but was able to play out the game, so that's good news. Only 27 minutes due to that ankle, 12, 3 and 9. A steal and a block is a pretty impressive performance. We had Aaron Brooks get some extra run because of because of Jeff. 14-2-2 with two triples and a block for Brooksy, and that's his second big game in about the last week. Don't read anything into it, though. Paulie George, not his best night. 19-5-3 with three triples, no defensive numbers, and he's uh, now famous inefficiency. Still think that George can get better than what he is, but I don't really see him approaching the top 10 in value. Monte Ellis, 16 minutes. He is not starting again, at least in the near future, and he's not getting more minutes than this, really, in the near future. So, again, I'll make this almost a daily thing. Don't bother with Monte Ellis in standard leagues. 4-4-4 with a steal and a block is all right. Cool. But it's 14-teamer, maybe, at this point. Kevin Serafin played more minutes than Al Jefferson. I can always get behind that, but neither of them are 14-team league guys really at all. They're probably 16-teamers. Well, Thad Young wasn't great. He was 4 of 12 for 10 points. Two steals and two triples, though, so still getting those peripheral stats that really make uh, a lot of his value, putting up uh, putting up the numbers there. The little dog, Glenn Robinson, continues to start and will continue to start, according to Nate McMillan. 9 and 8 for Glenn Robinson the third in 32 minutes. That doesn't really make him useful, though. It makes him a 18-20-team league guy only, despite the fact that he is starting and will continue to start. Next up, we talk about Portland and Minnesota. No Dame Lillard again, so CJ McCollum was able to go off in this one. 43 points for CJ, five boards, three assists, three steals, three triples, one block. Clearly the best game that he's had since replacing Dame Lillard and did it super efficiently as well, going 16 of 25 from the field. He was 8 of 9 from the line as well, putting up some uh, some pretty big numbers there. Uh, the Blazers get an important victory on the road here against the Timberwolves, you know, putting up and I'm basically on the back of CJ McCollum. He has seen his efficiency rise significantly this year, and that's caused his scoring to go up. And it's also, but his assists have dropped, which is basically what we sort of anticipated with the arrival of Evan Turner this season. Although it was hard to predict that his efficiency would actually improve from how good it was last year, but it has. So kudos to him. Evan Turner, big defensive night from Turner, two steals and four blocks with 11 3 and 1 to go along with that. He's putting up surprisingly good numbers that. In certain situations, you could own him in a 12-team league. It's not going to be for everybody, of course, but he's you know, resurrected himself after a poor start. Well, Mohawk, the score, just the eight, but five boards, two steals, two blocks. That's why he has 12-team league value. 18-8 and eight for Mason Plumley, And Alan Crabb played 40 minutes, had 10 points, and eight boards with a block. There is no reason to own Crabby in 12s. There's no reason to own Krabby in 10s, and there's barely, oh no, 14 teamers. I reckon he's a borderline 14 team league guy. Al Farouk Aminu played big minutes, 36, but just can't hit anything at the moment. That is bound to change. 2, 6, and 3 for Aminu with two steals. I think he can be a 12 team league guy. I just don't think he's quite there at this point at the moment. For the Wolves, Rick Rubio was terrible. Really poor. 0 of 5 from the field for Rick. Only stayed on the court for 27 minutes because he was just so out of it. Still gave you 6 assists. Still gave you 2 steals, though. So some some nice peripheral numbers. But 
wasn't a great one. And uh, in his absence, Chris Dunn really stepped up. And this was probably the best game that Chris Dunn has had. He was efficient. He was 5 of 7 from the field. He went 11, 3, and 4. He had a steal. He had a 3. He had 3 blocks. Now, the, I do have started getting the questions, oh, do I grab Chris Dunn now? No, I don't believe you do. I don't think this changes anything for Ricky Rubio moving forward. I don't think this changes anything for Chris Dunn moving forward. My thoughts on Dunn remain the same. I still think that he is not that great of a prospect. I don't believe that he is a starting caliber point guard in the NBA at this point, and there is a risk that he never becomes that. And I do think that you know we'd look at the point guards coming in next year that he would be he's going to be behind seven or six or seven of those guys coming in. So I don't really know how high his ceiling is, but this is obviously a very impressive performance to put up those sort of numbers, especially the defensive stuff. But just remember that that efficiency is not something that you should be relying upon for Chris Dunn whatsoever, and that drops the the appeal of his line. If instead of going five of seven, he goes three of seven, we're talking about seven points, you know, three rebounds, four assists, and still get the three blocks and a steal, but everything else doesn't look quite as good. Carl Towns dished another six assists. He will have seasons in the NBA where he dishes over four a game. 11, 13, and 6 with a steal and a block, while Gorgie Jeng went 12 and 9 with a couple of steals. And Shabazz Muhammad had his second straight game of double-digit scoring, 12 points with 6 boards and 2 triples. So that's making him more appealing in the 16 to 18 team range, but that's really, really it. Wigo had 24 points, did it on 20 shots, so that's good. The 3 of 7 from the line is not a great way to end the week. It could have potentially dipped you down maybe half a percent or so, well, maybe not that much. And Zachy Levine didn't have a, a great night either, going 5 of 12 from the field and 1 of 3 from the line to give you 13 points in one of one, uh, probably one of his worst games of the season. Let's move on to the last game of the night. That was Toronto and the Lakers. Jonas Valanciunas played 31 minutes in Patrick Patterson's absence, 14 and 10 for Jonas with two steals and did it on his high efficiency, 6 of 7 from the field and 2 of 2 from the line. While DeMar DeRozan had 31 with a steal and a block. Pascal Siakam got majority of the run with Patterson out, 31 minutes for Siakam, three points, but 10 boards and four blocks is obviously impressive. Now, I've been pretty harsh on Siakam recently, but he stepped up given the opportunity and did a lot defensively. Still got torched a lot by by Julius Randle from the Lakers, um, and this doesn't really change much that I think about Siakam for fantasy purposes moving forward. I imagine that Patterson will be back for the next game. We got some extra Jakob Pertl who played nine minutes, and we only got eight minutes of Norm Power, which is disappointing. Damari Carroll played 17, had four fouls, so it was limited there. Five points and a block. I'll say it again. He's not a 10-teamer, and he's not a 12-teamer. I don't think there's any point in owning him there, while Tezza Ross chimed in with three triples in his 24 minutes. The, the Raptors had a big lead in this one, and then uh, the Lakers came back at the end, and they uh, they settled to win by nine. For the Lakers, Julius Randle went 15-9-6 with three and two, hit nine of 10 from the line, but 3 of 10 from the field. He just looks so out of control with some of the shots he takes. You just wish you could get in his head and say, just don't shoot it. Don't take this shot. Like, you just put your head down and you're all off balance and you just throw it up. Just ridiculous types of shots. And if you can get those out of his game, then a lot of the other stuff would be a lot more impressive. He just looks so out of control at times. But a really nice performance from him there. Tariq Black entered the rotation ahead of of Tom Robinson, but Robinson ended up playing more minutes. 14 minutes for Black, he went 9 and 9. Tom Robinson went 12 and 9. So the value that Robinson was having before Black came back is probably likely to persist until at least Larry Nance returns. This is really limiting what Tim Mozgov can do, obviously 6 and 3 for Mozzie, um, and Black gets back most of his value that he had prior to his ankle injury. Brandon Ingram didn't do much, 6 and 3 in 26 minutes, while Lou Deng has the party ended, not quite yet. 
I still think that you can continue to own him. 2, 3, and 2. Lou Williams was abysmal. He was 3 of 11 from the field, 8 points with 2 triples and an assist. And this is this uh, pretty heavy regression coming for Lou Williams after that really massive run of top 30 value that he had, top 50 at least. Um, he, he is cooling off. You still want to own him, but he is going to you know, pretty quickly, I think, slide to being maybe your 11th, maybe your 12th best player with uh, with Nick Young playing more, with Russell getting his minutes back, and Williams not going out there and doing everything that he was doing before. So the party was always bound to end, and it looks like it is uh, has ended already. All right, that is all of the action from Sunday. I'm going to take a quick break, and then we're going to be back to preview an eight-game Monday in the NBA. All right, guys, we're back. Let's talk perfect DFS from Sunday. Let's start with Fangio. Kyle Lowry, 58.3. D'Angelo Russell, 42.3. At shooting guard, Timmy Hardaway, a real punt option there, 35.5. Or CJ McCollum had 58.5. At small fort, Paul George was pretty poor, but he fitted into this perfect lineup, 28.5 for Paulie. While Aaron Gordon went for 24.2. At power forward, Paulie Millsap, 52.1. LaMarcus Aldridge, 49.6, and Andre Drummond at 51.6 for a total of 400.6 points, and that was $59,900. On DraftKings, Chrissy Dunn at 28.25, CJ McCollum at 61.75, Timmy Hardaway at 39.25, Aldridge, 53.25, Drummond at 55.5, Kyle Lowry at 63.75, Paulie Millsap at 56.75, and D'Angelo Russell at 45.5 for a total of 404 points, and that was the total $50,000 of the DraftKings um, salary cap. Weird day coming up on Monday for, for DFS. There are eight games, as I mentioned, but there are so many cheap point guard, shooting guard guys available. So we've got, obviously, expensive ones like Jimmy Harden, Russ Westbrook, um, and then all these all these cheap ones, Brogdon, Carter-Williams, Shelvin Mack. So numerous different ways to, you, you can go, but there is a ton of value out there at the guard position especially. Let's start with that first game, which is Oklahoma City and the Milwaukee Bucks. The Bucks are favored by two. The total is 211 points at this point. We don't know if Matthew Dellavedova is going to play. I have marked him as doubtful at the moment, but obviously if he plays, it does change some things up with Brogdon. But I still believe that Brogdon will play more minutes than Daly if Daly is healthy. If Daly is out, we're looking at 35-ish from Brogo. But, um, and I don't, it's been like three or four days. I don't think that Daly is necessarily coming back from a hamstring injury or three, in three or four days. So I do think that he's out. You might, by the time you listen to this, we might have heard more information about his hamstring. But at this point, I'm marking him doubtful for Monday's game. Miles Plumley is questionable with a finger, but really the only finger he's getting is Jason Kidd's middle one. He's uh, he's not a factor at all. Let's talk point guards. Let's talk Brogo, who dropped uh, just a casual 43 in the last game. Now, his salary on Fangio has jumped by 400 bucks. That's a it's a decent jump. It's not it's not totally you know ruling him out of being used though. I think that if uh, if Dally played, it'd be a tougher one to he'd be a tougher one to consider. But if Daly's out, then I do still like him at 5,300. Over on DraftKings, he's at 5,100. So that's a substantial $1,200 rise. So that price is making it tough. But he is averaging 32 points in the last three over on DraftKings. So in a starting role, he can totally get those numbers. And again, Russ Westbrook not providing the most stellar defense. As for Russ on Fangio, he's at 11,800. And he's at 12,3 over on DraftKings. 
obviously you can feel pretty comfortable with getting Russ and getting your 55, probably 60 points, but he hasn't quite been the same level of guy recently, averaging 59, sorry, 55 over the last five, where there was one game in there where he was ejected and scored just the 25. So I think you can probably bump that to maybe a 58-point average, which 11,800 is not quite where it needs to be, and the Bucks have been fairly, not fairly good, they've been very good at reducing point guard output this season. So sure, you've got lots and lots of cash left over. Russ is going to be one of the, or he's the best high-priced point guard out there on the board, but doesn't mean I love using him in that way. And on DraftKings at 12-3, it's a little bit harder again to to use him over on there at that price. Jason Terry, Samaje Chris are not going to be in use. Vic Oladipo's back. He's at 6,000 on Fangio, so I don't really love that price there. He did have 21 in his first game back, but getting him to 30 points is probably going to be an extra step of a challenge. So I reckon I'll give him a fade. And over on uh, on DraftKings, he's a more more comfortable 5,400. Still not 100% sure that it's the best play, but on, in a GPP on DraftKings, I can totally see Victor Oladipo being, uh, being a useful player. Yanni's at 10,200. I feel feel really confident about Yanni getting 50 here. So he, at 10,200, is definitely a, a good way to spend that amount of cash. He's at 10-4 over on DraftKings, but same story. I feel pretty good about him being able to get 50 points on uh, on both sides. Alex Abrines, at minimum salary, he did have the concussion. He is playing, but with Oladipo back, he's a tougher guy to play, and his upside is pretty limited anyway. Not many cheap small forwards on the slate. So Andre Robertson at 3,600 could be a way to go. He had 23 in the last game. Now, he has been struggling, and I definitely wouldn't be looking at him in cash, but it is a positive matchup against the Bucks. Wings can put up some numbers. Um, needs to get his hands on, on, on some balls. Giggity! And get some turnovers, get some blocks, get some boards. Um, but he look, he could turn in 25 points, and at 3,600, that's a really nice way to, to build a, a GPP lineup. I, I really don't love it, though. Um, not putting a huge amount of faith in that. Miz Toledovic at minimum salary, he can always go off, so that always makes him marginally interesting, but not really that keen on him either. Mick Beasley did not play at all in the last game, despite being healthy, and Tony Snell is Tony Snell. Jeremy Grant goes back to his minimal role as well. Power forge Jabari Parker, 7,100, has been killing it, averaging 42 over on Fangio in the past three games, and we have a look at him on DraftKings, and he's averaging 45 over the last three games. He is more expensive on DraftKings at 7,300. Um, don't favor him as much over on that side just because of that extra salary, but I do like him on FanDuel at that 7,100 price and, and feel pretty confident about him getting around the 35 mark. Enes Kanter's been killing it and actually had 35 in the last game, even with Vic Oladipo back. Can he continue? Is it is it a situation of Bill Donovan going, all right, now I feel more confident, Ennis, of you not playing 18. We can get 24, maybe 27 minutes a night out of you, which is what he's been averaging over the last three. And that's giving us tons of numbers. Over the last five, in fact, he's got 29 points in 27 minutes, which at 5,400 is okay. And and the Bucks, we know how, how tasty a matchup the Bucks can be for big men. So Cantor is in play, but I don't think he's a strong play. Over on DraftKings, he's at 5,300. So I'm a little bit more hesitant with him over there, but it's still there's still some value in uh, in Ennis at center. Greggy Munro is at 4800 on Fangio. He's been comfortably uh, outstripping that value, dropped to 37 in the last game. It's all Jason Kidd related. What will he do with Henson? But all the um, all the trends have been that Henson is dropping way off, and Munro is getting some extra minutes. This is not a team that you can't play centers against. The Thunder, 
So 4,800 for Munro. Uh, absolute has, absolutely has use, and he's at forty six on DraftKings again. Not not a bad guy to look at. Really a, a toughish cash player to look at, but could be if you're looking to save some cash at centre. Greg Munro could be that guy. Fifty four hundred for Steve Adams on Fangio hasn't quite been quite been where he needs to be over the last couple. The matchup here is okay, or well, it's not okay. It's really good for him. Um, wouldn't not want to trust it in cash though, but I do think that he's he's decently solid. Well, John Henson is uh, probably the opposite of that at this point in the season. All right, let's get on to the next game. That is the New Orleans Pelicans. They're taking on the Cleveland Cavaliers. There is no spread release for this one yet. Kyrie Irving is listed as questionable, as is Mike Dunleavy for the Cavs. Obviously, Irving's the one we pay attention to. With Irving out in the last game, Jordy McRae put up numbers, and Kay Felder was in play. So if Kyrie is out, we look at Jordy McRae as a GPP option. It also boosts the value of Kevin Love and LeBron James. At point guard, Kyrie, well, if he's playing, he's been on fire, and it's a good matchup. He's averaging 50 over the last five games, which at 8,500 is totally something that you can use. Now, taking the risk there is is obviously the concern. Over on DraftKings, he's even better. He's at 7,800, and he's been killing it over there as well, averaging 54 over his last five. So if we get the all clear from Kyrie, I do really like his spot here. Drew Holiday, yeah, not bad as well. Good matchup against Kyrie, obviously, 7,100 for Drew. He dropped a 38 in the last game. He's averaging 35 over the last five. No reason to think that 35 shouldn't be in play for Drew again. He's at 6,500 on DraftKings. Makes him a really, really well-priced point guard over there as well, who's averaging 37 in the last five. And again, the Kyrie defense gives him a bump. So both these point guards could definitely be in play. Shooting guards... You're not a lot to love here. You can take a punt on Langston Galloway at 3,700 on Fangio. He does have the occasional hot night, but it's not really that great. Shumpert, Etwan Moore, DeAndre Liggins, Bud Heald. None of these guys are really standing out as appealing. 5,500 for Tyreek Evans. Man, if he was minimum salary, I'd be all over that. But at 5,500, I'll say no thanks. But on DraftKings, Tyreek is interesting. He's at 4,100. He had 29 points in the last game. He's averaging 20 over the last three. If if you want to take a punt on someone, I don't imagine Tyreek's ownership would be high. He gets you 26, 27 points in in yeah, 20 minutes at 4,100. It, it could work out. I think that there's, there's something to see with low ownership Tyreek that he could go off, and he's been really impressive the last couple of games. Jordy McRae, obviously, at min salary, he dropped 26 in that last game starting for Kyrie. So if Kyrie is out again, then we go back and look at, uh, at Jordy McRae as being a, a pretty solid option. LeBron is at 9,900 on Fangio. That's a $400 price drop. You smash that. There's no reason why that should have dropped. He's averaging 52 over the last three games. There's still great value in him. Now, on DraftKings, he's much less appealing because he's at 10500 So that's a significant difference in the price. His salary has actually jumped over there. And yeah, he's averaging 58 in the last three games on DraftKings, 53 in the last five. But I'm not quite as confident that he gets the 10-5 value over there. But 9-9 on, uh, on Fangio, it's only $600 difference. But remember, you've got $10,000 extra to play with over on Fangio. That makes LeBron a, a pretty decent play over there. Dante Cunningham's a name that will be lowly owned, I imagine. He's at 3,800, but he's starting. He's getting 35-plus minutes, and he's averaging 21 points over the last five. That's not exciting, but at 3,800, 21 points works for you, or it should work for you. I don't think there's much tournament upside in there, and he is a little bit risky for cash, but 
for you know sub four thousand guys with a secure role or fairly secure role. I'm going to talk about the Donatus Montiunis signing when it actually becomes official, which will probably be tomorrow's podcast. But we'll, we'll talk about Donatus Montiunis tomorrow. But for now, you know Cunningham's got a fairly secure role at uh, at power forward. Solly Hill, no thanks. Dickie Jefferson, no thanks. Power forwards, Kev Love, love it, love it here. Eight thousand four hundred for Kev, dropping forty two a game. Much you know, look, he gets actually better if Kyrie is out, I believe. Um, but I think he's just solid. Let's get your forty against a, a Pelicans team who is not that great at, at defending that position. He's at eighty eight hundred on uh, DraftKings. I still do like him because there's really no other high price power forwards out there that are that are really appealing. So if you want to go big at that position, he can be the guy, but not not quite as uh, not quite as happy with him over on DraftKings at that inflated salary. Tony Davis, ten thousand eight hundred. Again, this is a it's a negative matchup against the Cavs. He hasn't historically done well against Cleveland, and his numbers have been tailing off somewhat, averaging just forty five in the last three and fifty one at the last five. Now fifty one's not bad, but at ten thousand eight hundred. You want to just be doing a little bit more, especially when you've got a, a negative matchup coming up here. So Anthony Davis on some sites will be okay. So on DraftKings at 10,300, I'm a bit more happy with him over there. But um, on FanDuel, I don't really love him that much at, at that point. You can definitely use him and feel, you know, have a decent level of confidence that he'll approach 50, but I'm not, I'm not 100% sold on it. Terrence Jones has gone down to 4,200 with good reason because he's averaging 14 points in the last three. No real reason to use him. Tristan Thompson at 4,700 on Fangel has suffered a $400 price drop. He's also at 4,700 on DraftKings. His upside is limited, I believe, but he's not a, not a horrible cash play. I think he can do better, though. Let's move on now to the next game up on our slate, which is the Utah Jazz and the Brooklyn Nets, no spread released at this point. George Hill is out. Dante Exum is out for Utah. Jeremy Lin is out for Brooklyn. But the big news for Utah is that Alec Burks has been upgraded to questionable, and Tony Jones of the uh, of the Salt Lake Tribune says that he he expects him to play. So he's he's on the probable side of questionable. Now, what does this mean for seasonal leagues? If seasonal people are still listening, um, nothing. He's going to be on very limited minutes. He's going to have to battle Rod Hood, George Hill, Dante Exum, Shelvin Mack, probably head of those two guys, to be honest, but Joe Ingles, like he's not having a big enough role to be a standard league guy. As for DFS, until the minutes come up, and if they ever come up, then he'll be impactful. But otherwise, nothing to see here. It's just good to see, for, for the Utah Utah's point of view, to see an extra one of their depth pieces coming back. Now, with Georgie Hill out, Shelvin Mack is priced at 3800 So he's got a real chance to get 20 points, which is all he needs at that number. So Shelvin Mack, just add him into the list of of, uh, of point guards who are really cheap prices for, for Monday. So you know, Shelvin is um, is a guy to look at. When we go to look over on DraftKings, though, he's priced at 5000 So that's far from appealing. It, it's, a, it's a great matchup for him against Brooklyn, but it's no 3800 so can, he can still absolutely be used on on DraftKings. He's just not as much of a lock to me. On uh, on Fangio, say Dally's out, I can totally see getting a backcourt of Shelvin Mack and Malcolm Brogdon together, and then getting say Yanni and and J- Jimmy Harden as your two shooting guards or something along those lines. Isaiah Whitehead, Spencer Dinwiddie, the two Nets point guards, they don't play enough minutes to really be useful players. Let's talk. 
shooting guard. Shawnee Kilpatrick at 4,600. Really like him, especially considering his price has now dipped by 900 bucks on Fangio. Not as keen on him on DraftKings where he's at 5,500, but on Fangio, he is averaging 24 over the last three, and that includes a seven-point performance, which was in that real blowout game that the Nets had in their last outing. Um, I think you should feel pretty confident of getting 25 out of Kilpatrick with the upside to go 33, 35, 40 even. He's got pretty big upside. And the defense is quite an issue, but I love the fact that that salary is dipped by 900 bucks. That really returns him into my uh, good books. 4,700 for Rod Hood. The matchup is really good, but I'm not ready to put uh, Rod Hood into uh, into a lock category. In a tournament, sure, he can give you 30, but uh, apart from that, not really uh, not really feeling Rod at this moment. He's at 49 on DraftKings as well, which is even less appealing. Um, Randy Foy has played big minutes the last couple of games, but it's not relating or it's not resulting in big big DFS scores. At small forward, love Gordy Haywood here at 7,700. He's averaging 39 over the last five games, which is enough to return value at that price, obviously. On DraftKings, he's less appealing at 8,100, so he's somewhat of a pass over there to me. But on Fangel at 7,700, I can totally understand using him. Another guy you want to take a peek at is Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. He's at 4,200. He had a casual 24 in the last game. There's nothing to say that he is going to be an awesome play here. It's a shit matchup. But he is a name to watch with maybe GPP upside. But really, if I was pushed, I'd say no. Joey Ingles, Joe Johnson, Karis Levert, really tough to use any of those guys in DFS lineups. Derek Favors at 4,900 should be looked at. He's at 4,900 on both sites. He dropped 23 in 24 minutes in the last game, and the minutes are consistently rising. This is a very good matchup for Derek. It's his former team um, you, all you're hoping for here is 25 points, and I don't think that that's going to be too much of a, uh, I don't think that's going to be too much of a, of a stretch for him to get to. Really do think that he is a, a decent upside player who could get 30 at 4,900 in a in a very very positive matchup. Same on DraftKings, I do like him over there as well. Trev Booker has been struggling. He's at 5,000. Now he did drop at 27 in the last game, and he is averaging 25 in the last three. But you scroll it back a bit, he's down to 22 over the last five. It's a tough matchup. It is his former team as well, though. So do we look at revenge factor there? I'm just not sure that he's going to get enough minutes to really turn it into a great investment. Trey Lyles, Boris Diaw, no thanks for those guys. Um, Brookie Lopez is at 7,000. It's a great salary. It's a dip by 800 bucks for Brook. But he's got Rudy Gobert. So there is a risk associated with using him. He's averaging 33 over the last five, which at 7,000 is not quite cutting it. Um, it is a significant negative, this matchup. I can totally see Brook being a GPP guy, especially on DraftKings, where he's at 6,100. That is a very, very cheap price. So even though he's got a real chance of, or risk of getting go bad, I actually think that he is a, a very nice GPP guy to look at at that reduced salary. That is a stinking low price. And... Yeah, you would have to feel relatively confident of getting 30 out of Brookie. As for Gobert, 7,700. It's a positive matchup for him, but that is, you know, that salary is, it, it's tough. He had 38 in the last game. He's averaging 35 in the last five. He's he's close to it. I like him better on DraftKings at 7,400. He's not my number one play at center, but he's absolutely a guy that you can consider using. All right, let's uh, let's travel on to the next game now, and that is Orlando. They take on the New York Knicks. Now, if you're not a basketball monster member, you should be. But secondly, 
on our DFS pages, you can check our what if scenarios. So with all the guys that are listed as questionable, you can see the way, you know, how we see the minutes and usage playing out depending on which guys are out. So you've got a scenario, normally, see Orlando, we've got a what if scenario. You know, what if Fournier is out and then it'll adjust all the ratios. For the New York Knicks, we have 15 different scenarios for tomorrow because there's four guys who are questionable. Kylo Quinn, Christophs Porzingis, Carmelo Anthony, Courtney Lee. So it's really tough for me to give you a full overview of all of the Knicks situations given there are 15 different um, lineup combinations that we've got listed for them at the moment. And that makes it, uh, that makes it tough for you know, to really gauge the results. I'm going to talk here assuming that all of these guys are playing, Fournier and the four Knicks players. Um, if guys... If these guys are out, Mallow, Porzingis, Lee, then we're going to see more Justin Holiday. We're going to see more Joe Kim Noah. We're going to see some more Brandon Jennings. They're the three guys who would, who would jump into becoming DFS targets. But it's, it is very dependent on, on obviously what happens with all these injured players. Let's talk point guards here. Derek Rose played 41 minutes in the last game, had 42 points. So you know, when you go at a point per minute, it's a pretty decent return. And that's exactly what Derek Rose did in that last game. He's um he's priced at 6500 on uh, on DraftKings as well as FanDuel, so the same price. I'm not really sure that I love him though on either side. I think there's there's some value in him. The Orlando matchup is not um it, it's not the best one that's that's out there. It, it's okay for point guards. It's it's not the best matchup though for for Derrick Rose. Yeah, he's solid, but there are much better options that are out there. Brando Jennings at 4000. He had 49 in the last game. Pretty you know. Pretty much don't think that's going to happen, but he showed last time he played Orlando, he's able to put up big numbers. His salary's dropped by 600 bucks. One of these guys is out, Lee or Mallow in particular, or even Puzingas, um, fine with using Brandon Jennings at 4,000 bucks. I think that he would definitely be worth worth a look in that scenario. He's at 4,300 on DraftKings, and, and again, it really does, it's going to need someone to be out for him to be considered. Lord Alfred at 5,900. Hate the matchup. Form hasn't quite been there. That's too expensive. That's not going to be happening for me. And he's at the same price on DraftKings, so that's not interesting there either. DJ Augustine's not not at all interesting either. Courtney Lee, four thousand bucks. There's no upside in Lee. We don't know if he's playing. Just that's a hard pass. And Evan Fournier, if he happens to play, I really like it. He's at fifty nine hundred over on FanDuel. If we look at him on DraftKings, he's at six thousand. But if he plays, I, I like the play. But we don't know that at this point. Jody Meeks gets the bump if Fournier misses. He has been all right, but not really worth the 4000 bucks you have to pay up for him, and the, definitely not worth the 4600 you have to pay up for him on DraftKings. Whereas Justin Holiday at 4000 get one of these wing guys out, much like Brandon Jennings, he comes into play as well, putting up some really solid numbers, especially if Courtney Lee is the only one out. Justin Holiday is someone that you should be, uh, should be targeting and taking a look at. If we look at him on DraftKings, he's at 4200 So again, Pretty nice prices for him on both sides. Mallow's at 7,700. If he plays, I, I think I actually like him if he plays. But at this point, it's a little bit tough to expect him to go through the whole game. So that would probably keep him out of most of my lineups. Aaron Gordon is always a risk at 4,100. He's a tournament guy, but that's literally it for him. While Jeffy Green, yeah, sure. No, no real chance there. Lance Thomas... Had 13 points in 33 minutes in the last game. So even if he gets elevated to a starter with an injury, I wouldn't be falling over myself to get Lance Thomas happening. Kristaps Porzingis at 7,800. Sorry. Porzingis at 7,800. Um, 
They've been playing well before this Achilles problem. Averaging 44 in the last three over on FanDuel, averaging 48 on DraftKings. And the price on DraftKings at 7,100 is very appealing. But we don't know if he's going to play. But if he does play, I do like him on DraftKings. Don't really love him that much or not as much on FanDuel. Serge Barker at 6,800 on FanDuel has been putting up decentish numbers, but I don't really love that price tag for him. It feels just marginally too high, and I'm not keen. Definitely hate the 6,700 for him on uh, on DraftKings. At center, Joakim Noah, 4,500, had 39 in the last game. He's averaging 31 across the last three. Totally fine with using him, but in GPPs, really only, because he does have some real stinkers in there. If, if Cocky's out, though, I I think he becomes safer in cash. He's at 4,800 over on, over on DraftKings. Not sure that that's a... Yeah, it's not bad. It's definitely no. It's definitely no forty-five on Fangio. He's he's an option, but he he's you know, leans more GPP over on uh, on DraftKings. Nick Vucevic has been playing well, averaging thirty-four in the last three. He's at sixty-seven hundred, so the salary is coming into into line with his production. Still a risk though, because there could be a night where he plays twenty-six and Biombo plays twenty-eight, and that's the that's the risk with Nick Vucevic, unfortunately. So not yeah not loving him as a as a play sixty two hundred on DraftKings makes him a bit more appealing, and I would I would, could totally GPP him. Bismack not not really happening at that forty five hundred price tag and Kylo Quinn at forty two we don't know if he's playing and he was barely playing before he had the issue with the illness so really tough to um to look at him as a guy that you want to look at. The next game is the Charlotte Hornets taking on the Chicago Bulls. The the spread, there's no spread. The spreads are pick them. The total here is 203, so a moderately paced game. Injury-wise, it's Marco Ballinelli we're looking at, who's missed the last few games with an ankle injury. Let's start with point guards, though. Kemba Walker is at 6,400. Yeah, I think the matchup is pretty good for Kemba. He's coming off a 47-point performance. He could easily drop a 40 here, and at 7,400, you should feel pretty confident about Kemba Walker returning value at that spot. Michael Carter-Williams. Likely starting. Matchup is very, very good here. He's at 4,100. Now, he started the last game, but played just the 25 minutes. So, we have to look at him as as marginally risky, but I think at 4,100, just throw him into the pile with Brogdon and Shelvin Mack as these cheap point guards that you can consider, and you have to consider pretty significantly. I think he is one of the better ones out there. The matchup is really superb for him in this one. The, The risk that you do have, though, is... That he only plays 25 minutes. I think that I think that he gets a bit more in this one, and I think that he passes the 20 points and potentially gets to 25, and that's going to work out uh, pretty tasty for you. So I do really like Michael Carter Williams here. If we look at Carter Williams over on DraftKings, he's uh, he's equally as good value. He's at 4,000 bucks, which is a 1,000 dollar price rise, but it is still. Um, comfortably in his value range. So really he he is a he's a very solid guy to have a look at. Jaron Grant, Ramon Sessions, nah. Shooting guard, Dwayne Wade, six thousand eight hundred, hasn't been really approaching his value of late. The matchup here is very, very good. I can uh, look at him mainly as a GPP guy, though, because his numbers just haven't quite been where they need to be. Well, Nick Batum has been carving teams up. He's at 8,000 on Fangula. That's making him a little bit tougher, but he does have a very good history against the Bulls. So I, I can totally consider him a guy to look at. 
on DraftKings. He's at 8,000 as well. Probably a little bit more hesitant to use him over there, but totally um, fine to consider him as a GPP option. Jezza Lamb at 3,800 has been putting up almost 20 a game since Ballinelli's been out, but the upside's not really quite there with him at this point, especially with so many other options out there on the slate. Dougie McDermott's at 36. If you want to take a punt on a cheap small forward, he might be the guy to do. He's playing 29 minutes a game over the last three, and he's not normally a really good fantasy contributor, but he did have 21 in the last performance, and if they let him shoot threes, maybe he hits some and gets some points. Still somewhat of a risky proposition, though, to, to consider him. Um, love him more on DraftKings where he's at 3,300. Jim Butler, 8,300. Averaging almost 50 over the last three. Yeah, he's fine. You want to go up at point guard, spend up at point uh, point guard at, at small forward. Jim Butler is going to be your guy. Michael Kidd-Gilchrist comes into play at 4,700 if Marco Ballinelli is out. If Ballinelli plays, no real point in considering Kidd-Gilchrist. He's at 47 on FanDuel and 46 on DraftKings, but that's still valuable if, uh, if Bally is out. The power forwards, Taj Gibson is at 4,600. I do not like that play at all. Not interested there. Nick Miritich at 44, just a GPP guy, but again, not much interest there. While Marv Williams at 44, I reckon you can do better at the power forward spot than Marv Williams as well. So neither of those cheapish power forwards on this on this slate uh, are really all that appealing, I don't believe. The centers, though, there's something to see here. 4,400 for Robin Lopez, who'd been pretty poor recently. Um, a lot of his struggles come against stretch big men, and Cody Zeller is not a stretch big man. He had 27 in the last game, Robin, and at 4,400, I, I feel pretty good about Robin Lopez getting me 23 points. I think he's definitely worth a look here, and the matchup is a positive one for him as well. If we look at what he's look, looking like over on DraftKings, it's a similar story. He's at 4,600, so it's definite value there. Cody Zeller at 4,800. I like Zeller here too. I think there's value in using him and getting him to 25 points. His numbers have been a little bit low, so I'm probably less interested, but he could be a, a cheaper, lower-owned center on a, in a GPP. Still not not 100% in love with him, though, but I do really like him on DraftKings. He's got a much better sort of return on investment over there, despite being uh, just $200 cheaper. Chris Felicio, Roy Hibbert, no. All right, let's move on now to the next game. And that is the Washington Wizards taking on the Houston Rockets. No spread currently out for this one. A couple of injuries we really need to pay attention to. Brad Beal is questionable. He missed the last game with an ankle issue. And Pat Beverly is questionable with right wrist pain that caused him to miss the last game as well. So obviously some some injury situations there. Beverly's absence doesn't really change much from the Rockets um, DFS-wise. Beal's does, obviously. Um... The last game that Beal missed, Trey Burke went off. I wouldn't be 100% expecting that, but you can GPP Trey Burke and Marcus Thornton. They're going to be the guys who who take a bump in that situation. At point guard, Johnny Wall at 9,700. He would likely get some usage bump if Brad Beal happened to be out. He is fine to have a look at, but the matchup is not uh, brilliant if Beverly plays. If Beverly's out, it's a, it's a little bit easier situation for Johnny, and I do think that he is worth looking at at 9,700 as a um uh, as a as a tournament type point guard and even a cash even a cash point guard over on Fangio if we look at what Wall is priced at over on DraftKings he becomes a little bit less appealing at 10,100 you know, not the not the best play out there at that excessive price but still he's averaging 52 over the last five and 57 over the last three so there's every chance that he can return that value just probably a little bit more of a risky proposition. 
As for Pat Bev at 5,900, I wouldn't want to be using him um, in a John Wall matchup at that salary. Shooting guard, Jimmy Harden, 11,300. Let's go. He had 90 points in the last game. He had um, 100, I believe, over on uh, over on DraftKings. Yeah, 103 in the last game on DraftKings. He's at 12-4 on DraftKings. Doesn't really concern me too much. It, it is pretty expensive, but I still think he's worth it. But 11-3 on Fangio is a really, really good price. And again, as I mentioned before, you could go with a Yanni-Jimmy shooting guard combination and, and go cheap at point guard and, and, go, and go with it that way. That's that's a decent way to look at lineups, I think, for uh, for Monday. Love Jim, though. Rattles Beal at 6,800. Well, I wouldn't want to be using him because we don't know his status at this point. Eric Gordon at 5,600. Feels just a little bit high. The Wizards are quite good at defending um, his position and his type of player, so not really that interesting there. While Marcus Thornton gets the bump if Beal is out at 3,800. And obviously, Trey Burke, who's minimum salary on uh, on both sites, I believe. Now, he's 38 on Fangio and 3,000 on DraftKings. You would absolutely look at him in a GPP after he dropped 38 points the last time out. Wouldn't be expecting that, though. Otto Porter at small forward, 5,800. Yeah, solid, I think, here for Otto. He's uh, he's a, just a, a decent guy who's going to get you 26 or 27 almost minimum and you go 30, 30-plus 30 uh, on a good day. So I do like Otto here. On the other side, Trev Ariza is at 5,600. He's got his numbers sort of back going at the moment. You know, Porter's a tough defensive matchup for him as Ariza is for Porter. But both guys can be considered. I would favor Porter over Ariza on Fangio, and I would and I'll go the other way on uh, DraftKings. I would take Ariza over Porter there. Porter's at 6,100 on DraftKings, and Ariza's at 55. So that salary discrepancy is uh, is more pronounced over there. Kelly Oubre, Sam Decker, Corey Brewer. Now, Brewer started in place of Beverly in the last game, but it doesn't mean you need to use him or that you should use him. At power forward, Mark Heaps at 5,200. Hasn't been getting the numbers happening lately, but I can I can consider him a GPP guy with limited upside. So really, not a great one. Ryan Anderson at 5,400. Had 38 in the last game. His salary's actually dropped by 300 bucks over on FanDuel, but he is as up and down as anybody. He is strictly a GPP guy and have no, should have no interest in him as a, uh, as a cash game play. Centers. Gortat is at 6,600. The minutes are locked in. You should get 30-plus in terms of production out of Gortat most nights. It's a positive matchup. Go with him. You really think he's a decent play. Montrez Harrell, 4,600 on, on Fangio. Again, he put up big numbers in the last game. You should feel pretty confident about getting 25 or so out of Montrez. Now, the table, Montrez Harrell, that's his nickname if you haven't heard. The table is at 5,100 on DraftKings. Doesn't concern me. I still think that he can get that value there, while Gortat at 65 is also a good play. So a lot of good center plays uh, on the slate uh, on Monday. Let's move on to the next game now, and that is, who is it? It's the Phoenix Suns and the Los Angeles Clippers. No spread at this point yet. Chris Paul is doubtful, and Wes Johnson is questionable for the Clippers, so that's obviously going to have an impact. Now, with Paul likely out, Austin Rivers will get the start, and he's another one of these cheap point guards you could look at. 4,400 for Austin. Didn't really get it cracking in the last game, only 17 points, but he can comfortably get 23 or 24 points. I think you should feel pretty good about him in a matchup against the Suns, which is great for point guards. So really do like him there. If we look at him over on DraftKings, he's a, he's a 4,900, so it's a little bit more in terms of salary, but 
I think he's, he's a solid guy to take a look at over there as well. So numerous cheap point guards around. You could also go with Ray Felton at 4,300. I'd feel less confident about that, especially with a $500 price rise on his head, um, given that he'll likely come off the bench. He still could play 30 minutes, but I still have somewhat of a concern with, with using Ray there. On the Phoenix side, Eric Bledsoe, well, he gets the chance without Chris Paul matching up against him, so that takes away a lot of the negative matchup part of this. He's at 7,600, and he's averaging 37 over the last five. So I do think that you can consider him. I don't, I hate him on DraftKings, to be honest. But on FanDuel, I think there's a, a little bit of upside for, to use him, but not going to be one of the top point guard plays. Jamal Crawford has been brutally bad. He's at 4,400. He is a GPP play, though. He, in the last five games, has had a 10-point game in 31 minutes and a 39-point game in 31 minutes. So there's a big discrepancy between his best and his worst, and that is really useful in a GPP situation when you're just going all in for ceiling and you're not caring about floor, really. So he's worthwhile looking at there. Uh, JJ Redick at 4,200, I'd say the same thing for him, where he could have, in the last five games, he's had a 30-point game and an 8-point game in 24 minutes. So there's upside for him, but in cash games, tough to look at. Devin Booker at 5,900 over on Fangio. Um, I think that he's fine now. He's at 63 on DraftKings, which I'm not a huge fan of, but at 59 on on, uh, on Fangio, his shooting, it, it hasn't been awesome, but he is still accumulating points. He's averaging almost 30 across the last five, which at 5,900 is where you need him to be, and I feel pretty confident that his, that his floor will be decent as well. So I do like Devin Booker. I don't like Brandon Knight, so that's, uh, that should go without saying. TJ Warren has been struggling. He's at 5,100, dropped three points just in the last game which is obviously horrible. Um, could be a bounce back here for TJ, but I'm not putting too much DFS currency in, into doing that. He's at 5,000 over on DraftKings as well. Sure, he's worth a punt, but I reckon you can feel a little bit more secure in some other guys. And PJ Tucker doesn't really have any uh, DFS appeal. Wes Johnson, who was starting before he hurt himself, he's at 3,600. Um, I'll say no, because he's going to split the minutes with Brandon Bass. Even if even if he's healthy, so I'll, I'll leave him alone. Luke Marmute has no use. Power forwards. Mo Spates at forty three hundred. He's been killing it in his reverse, not reverse, re- reserve role, averaging twenty three points over the last three games in just twenty one minutes. He's over a point per minute over his last five, comfortably over it to be honest, putting up you know, really good numbers. But how high is his upside at forty three hundred? I would say it's not that high, but you can totally look at him and say I feel pretty good about getting twenty points out of Mo Spates. Uh, on both sides as well. So I think he's okay, but not far from the best. Alex Len, no. Marquise Chris, no. Brandon Bass is the interesting one here. If Wes Johnson's out, Bass dropped 26 in the last game. He played 24 minutes, and he's a minimum salary player over on Fangio and a minimum salary guy on DraftKings. So absolutely, he would be a GPP upside guy if if Wes Johnson happens to be out. Dragon Bender's at 37. I, I can totally get behind using Dragon Bender in a GPP as well at that 37 price tag or 33 on DraftKings. He's he's the owner of a 41-point performance on DraftKings in the last five games, and that came in 17 minutes. So we know that the upside is there for him to stuff the stat sheet, and hopefully, look, I would hope that he sees 20 minutes again. That's the risk associated with him, though. At center, DeAndre Jordan at 7,300 on FanDuel. He has been okay without being fantastic. Um, the matchup's actually somewhat of a negative for him here. Not not a high-priority guy, I don't think. 7,200 on DraftKings, yeah, that's fine as well. But again, not not a real high-priority player, while Tyson Chandler is not going to be someone that's, uh, that's moving the needle for me. 
All right, let's take a look at the last game of the night, and this is the Denver Nuggets, and it's the Golden State Warriors. The Warriors are favored by 15, and the total is 227.5. So we've got significant blowout potential here for the Warriors. Pat McCaw and Sean Livingston are both questionable, and for the Nuggets, Jameer Nelson and Darrell Arthur are both questionable. Arthur's not in the rotation anyway, so that's not going to have too much of an impact. A lot of these Warriors ones, the matchup looks fantastic, but what if it's a blowout and they don't play? So there's a risk. So Steph at 8,200. Um, he's averaging 40 the last three times he's played Denver. I don't think I'd be using Steph at 8,200. If we look at what Steph, Steph has got happening over on DraftKings, he's at 8,600, and his ability to hit bunches of threes always makes him a GPP option over on, on DraftKings, but really, really tough to consider using him in cash options. Clay Thompson at 6,000. Oh, no, let's go to the other point guards first, sorry. Uh, Jameer Nelson, yeah, we wouldn't be using him anyway. But if Nelson's out, 5,000 on Manny Moutier would be worth a look. I don't think I'd want to trust it in cash. But if Nelson's out, we should then be guaranteed of 30-ish from Moutier. And he's coming off a game where he scored 36 points in 29 minutes. So that could be useful and, and, and he could be worthwhile. But it is a bit of a wait and see. He's at 47 on DraftKings as well. So it is a bit of a, a Jameer Nelson wait and see situation. Um, Clay, 6,500. He's averaging 35 in the last five, three games. And at 6,500, that's that's enough. The matchup is very good for Clay, but I just fear that he is just a tournament guy. I don't really think there's cash game upside here for him, given that he's up and downness with his shooting. Farton Will Barton's at 5,200 on, uh, on Fangio. He's at 5,500 on DraftKings. That is not an interesting price for me at all. While Gaza Harris... At 4,700 on Fangio, he's coming off a 27-point performance. I think he is okay to look at. He's 47 on DraftKings as well, but not not up there with the best options at that position. Uh, small forwards, the Rooster, Danilo Gallinari is at $6,000. He's been he's been good. There's no other way of putting it. He's been he's just been good. But that's not, not a, a great DFS prospect. Same with Wilson Chandler and Kev Durant. Always looks appealing at 10,100. Yeah, he's averaging 54 across the last three. It's a good matchup, but the blowout risk makes me look at him as a, as a GPP type of guy only. Although on DraftKings, I like the fact that he's at 9,900. That actually puts him into cash consideration for me on DraftKings. The fact that his salary is that bit lower and he scores so much better over on that side. And I think he'll be able to put up those numbers, even if his minutes get, get nipped just by a little bit. Andre Iguodala is not going to be a target for us. Draymond at 7,700 has not been fulfilling that sort of production lately, but he does have a really good history against Denver. So I totally see him as being a GPP option on both sides. He's at 7,500 on DraftKings, 7,700 on Fangio. Nick Jokic at 7,200. The foul trouble is a real risk here, but he has been killing it, obviously averaging 42 across the last three. Probably wouldn't look at him in cash just because of the foul trouble risk against if he's matched up against, say, Draymond at times, um, or Durant driving to the rim, or Curry, all those sort of situations where he gets himself into strife. But he's definitely a GPP upside type of a pick, Jokic, at, at that price tag on, on both sides, actually. Ken Fareed, we won't be really looking too heavily into him, although you could punt on Ken Fareed. I don't think it's a great option with Nurkic rejoining the rotation, though. The centers, there's not a lot to love. Zaza, JaVale, Nurkic, none of those guys will really be finding their way or should be finding their way onto a DFS lineup. All right, let's talk picks of the day now. On Fangio, Brogdon at 4,300. As I mentioned, there are so many other cheap point guards you can consider. Carter Williams, uh, Shelvin Mack, um, Austin Rivers as well. 
Kemba at 7,400. Russ at 11,800. Shooting guard, Shawnee Kilpatrick, 46. Devin Booker, 59. Jimmy Harden, 11,3. The small forwards, Andre Robertson at 36 is a punty guy. Gordy Haywood, 77, and Jimmy Butler, 83. The power forwards, Derek Favors, 49, Jabari at 71, and Kevin Love at 84. And the centers, Rob Lopez, 41, and Gortaz, 44, sorry, and Gortat at 66. On draft, Kings, Michael Carter-Williams at 4,000. Drew Holiday at 65, Steph at 86. Austin Rivers at 49, Brogdon at 51, Jimmy Butler at 87. The small forwards, Tyreek is at 41, Markeith at 51, and Kevin Durant at 99. Marvin Williams at 43, Montrez the Table Harrell at 51, and Kevin Love at 88, and the centers, Robin Lopez 46, Brookie Lopez 61, and Tony Davis 10,300. Let's wrap it up with the Aussies now. Moneyball, Mick Carter Williams 35, Drew Holiday 59, and Russ at 12-1. Shooting guards, Brogos at 4,000, Oladipo's at 54, and Jimmy Harden's at 11-8. The small forwards, TJ Warren 43, Gordy Haywood at 71, and Jimmy Butler at 85. Warren is a GPP guy. The table at 4,000. Nick Jokic at 64. That's a great price for Jokic and Love at 81. And the centers, Rob Lopez 45 and Gortat at 63. On draft stars, MCW 5350, Shelvin Mack 8350 and Rusty at 22250. The shooting guards, Brogos at 54. Shawnee Kilpatrick's at 8550 and Jimmy Harden's at 239. The small forwards, Dougie McDermott, 6050. Jabari's at 11750. Yanni at 19100. The power forwards, the tables at 5900. Greggy Munro, 8850. And Anthony Davis at 18250. And the centers, Mo Spates, 6750. Robin Lopez, 9350. And Rudy Gobert, 14500. We are done here, guys. Welcome to 2017. I hope everything's going well with you and your life and your fantasy rosters and all that sort of stuff. Follow me on Twitter at redrock underscore b-ball and give me a review on iTunes. It'd be great if you like the show. Head across there, a couple of minutes, and it really does help things out. So I'm really appreciative of that as your New Year's gift to me. We are done. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. Yeah, got it on T-Mobile. Fastest iPhone deserves America's fastest LTE network. Introducing the amazing iPhone 8. It's the best iPhone yet, now on America's best unlimited network. For a limited time, save up to $300 on the amazing iPhone 8 after 24 monthly bill credits. And now join T-Mobile's iPhone upgrade program for free. Eligible trade-in and finance agreement required. If you cancel service, you may lose promo credits. Contact us for details. Video at 480p. Small fraction of users over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speed. See store for details.